بسم الله بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه وله أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته How's everybody doing? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So, inshallah today we are continuing with Arba'in al-Nawi. And today we have reached hadith number six. An al-Nu'man ibn Bashir, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, qal, sami'tu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yaqul, wa ahwa al-Nu'man bi isbi'ayhi ila udhunayhi. So, Nu'man ibn Bashir, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, he narrates, and while he's saying this, he points his two fingers to his ears, saying that I heard from the Messenger of Allah, and I'll explain why he did that specifically, but he said, I heard this, pointing with his two fingers to his two ears, and he says that he heard what? That the Prophet said, إِنَّ الْحَلَالَ بَيِّنٌ وَإِنَّ الْحَرَامَ بَيِّنٌ وَبَيْنَهُمَا مُشْتَبِهَاتٌ لَا يَعْلَمُهُنَّ كَثِيرٌ مِنَ النَّاسِ فَمَنِ اتَّقَى الشُّبُهَاتِ إِسْتَبْرَأَ لِدِينِهِ وَعِرْضِهِ وَمَنْ وَقَعَ فِي الشُّبُهَاتِ وَقَعَ فِي الْحَرَامِ كَالْرَاعِ يَرْعَى حَوْلَ الْحِمَى يُوشِكُ أَنْ يَرْتَعَى فِيهِ أَلَا إِنَّا لِكُلِّ مَلِكٍ حِمًا وَأَلَا وَإِنَّا حِمَى اللَّهِ مَحَارِمُهُ أَلَا وَإِنَّا فِي الْجَسَدِ مُضْغَةً إِذَا صَلَحَتْ صَلَحَ الْجَسَدُ كُلُّهُ وَإِذَا فَسَدَتْ فَسَدَ الْجَسَدُ كُلُّهُ أَلَا وَهِيَ الْقَلْبُ So the Prophet ﷺ says what? He says that that which is permissible is obvious. الْحَلَالُ بَيِّنُ And that which is haram, that which is un- unlawful is evident. It's bayin, it's obvious. And between the two are doubtful things, which many people don't know about. So he who guards against doubtful things keeps his religion and his honor blameless. Keeps them safe and blameless. And he who indulges in doubtful things, indulges in fact in unlawful things. Whoever goes towards these uh, shubuhat will eventually basically fall into haram. Just as a shepherd who pastures his animals around a preserve will soon pasture them in it. Indeed, every king has a preserve and the, and the things Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has declared unlawful are his preserves. Indeed, in the body, there is a piece of flesh. If it is sound, the whole body is sound. And if it is corrupt, then the whole body is corrupt. Indeed, it is the heart. Okay, so this hadith is quite lengthy, and there's a lot of portions to it. There's a lot of portions to it that need to be expounded upon and and explained and broken down one by one. So the first part. The first thing that we need to recognize from this hadith is that it is an extremely, extremely comprehensive hadith that basically uh, covers all actions, all types of actions. Permissible, impermissible, and everything in between. All the doubtful gray matter, if you will. So, subhanAllah, this is a very, you can see right from the beginning, it's a very comprehensive hadith. Who is the narrator? Abu Abdullah al-Nu'mad ibn Bashir al-Ansari al-Khazraji, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, was one of the first Muslims born in, from amongst the Ansar. So he was born when, uh, you know, uh, early on in the life of uh, when the Prophet ﷺ made hijrah. And in fact, subhanAllah, when the Prophet ﷺ passed away, he was only 10 years old. He was very young when the Prophet ﷺ passed away. Which is why most of the hadith which he narrates, he has narrated from other sahaba. Because as he was growing up in Medina, around all these elder sahaba, they are mentioning these narrations, he narrates his ahadith, and he has himself narrated 116 ahadith that are attributed back to him. So, mashallah, so he conveyed so much of the deen, mashallah, to us. But in this particular hadith, he says, I heard it, and he points to his ears saying, this isn't something I got from one of the sahaba. Even though I was young, I was a kid, I still remember this event, listening directly to the Prophet ﷺ, and I heard these words exactly from him. So he's saying, I heard this myself. 
That's why it's important to remember this. Um, it's also a, a nice to note that subhanAllah, he uh, was somebody who during the reign of Muawiyah, he actually held different governmental posts in Kufa and in Hims. And uh, he was also known for his eloquence and for his poetry. And he was actually killed in Hims around the year 64 after Hijrah. So this is a little bit about his life. Now the hadith in, uh, goes on to say what? Inna al-halal bayin. That indeed, that which is halal and permissible is clear. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala makes it clear. Throughout the Qur'an you find ayat like, for example, Allah has made permitted trade but has forbidden interest, for example. For example, Allah also says, lawful for you are the animals of grazing livestock, except for what Allah has recited, what has been recited to you from, from amongst, from within the Quran. So there are many different ayat that declare this is what is halal. So it is clear, it is straightforward. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also has various ayat where he describes that which is haram. Like Allah says, And so on and so forth. Allah says that Allah has only forbidden for you dead animals and blood and the flesh of swine and so on and so forth. So there are many different ayat that clearly define what is halal and what is haram. And so this, these things are clear. They're very straightforward in the Quran. Obviously anything associated with a punishment is haram because you get punished for it. So clearly you should stay away from it and so on. And between them, this is where things get, you know, this is sort of the, the crux of it. Between them is things that are doubtful. Uh, things that, you know, shubha, uh, you know, a doubt, or yushbihu uh, means to look like, look like something. So things that look like each other and they're, and they're not clear, you know. When things are separated and put in their own categories, things are very clear. In fact, the word bayna means between. And bayan is clarity, right? And, and bayyun means something that is clear. Because when you can differentiate between this and this, and you can separate things, that's when you can categorize things in a way that everything's clear. So separation implies clarity. And when things are all muddled together and mixed together, then that's when things become unclear. So hence the, 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 the roots of these words. So, وَبَيْنَهُمَا مُشْتَبِهَاتِ Now, does this mean that there are things that are doubtful and confusing for all people? No. For people of knowledge, for people who study their deen, the vast majority of things are clear. Right? That's the whole point of studying Islam, studying your, get, gaining ilm in this deen, so that things become more and more clear. And clearly, alhamdulillah, the more important a thing is, the more Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about it. You'll find there are so many ayat that emphasize the importance of tawheed and talk about the evils of shirk, because it's the most important. So many ayat about salah, because it's clearly important, right? So many ayat about, I don't know, uh, taqwa, and staying away from evil things. Why? Because it's, it's important. So you find that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given priorities to the things that need so much clarity, Allah puts so much emphasis on them. And so that's why the majority of this deen, alhamdulillah, when it comes to the major things, the, 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 the most important things, alhamdulillah, there is so much clarity. What does it mean that there are mushtabihat? What, what, are, what is this referring to? There are a few different interpretations. The first one is seemingly contradictory evidences from the Qur'an and Sunnah. Sometimes you might find an ayah or a hadith that looks like it's going against something else, right? And... A good example of this is the, there are some ahadith that mention that the Prophet ﷺ said, don't drink while standing up. These ahadith are authentic. There are other ahadith which mention what? That the Prophet ﷺ was actually drinking while standing. So you see these two, 
and it looks like contradiction. It looks like it's very difficult to reconcile these. So this might be a shubha. It might cause some sort of a doubt in the heart. Now, wallahu ta'ala a'lam, it seems that the best uh, reconciliation between these ahadith, the one that I'm aware of, is that uh, uh, one is for, you know, just taking a quick sip and moving along your way. And this is something that it's permissible, but when you want to sit down and have a meal and drink a, a large portion and, you know, you're, you're supposed to relax. You know, you're not supposed to eat and drink on the go like large portions. It can be bad for your stomach. Wallahu ta'ala alam. That seems to be the best way to reconcile these ahadith, the best that I've come across. Maybe there's others that, uh, others that have come across a better explanation. But still, if you've never come across this explanation, you might say, look, this looks contradictory. So these are these issues that require clarification. From that, you'll often find that scholars derive different interpretations. This is known. That in our deen, sometimes when it comes to fiqh and when it comes to Islamic uh, uh, rulings, you'll find that there are different madhahib and there are different schools of law that have different interpretations for various rulings. And this can definitely cause doubts in the mind or be very confusing in the mind of somebody who's trying to follow one particular scholar or one particular madhab. He says, my madhab and my scholar says this, but then I know that all these other scholars say that. What do I do about this? One thing you should realize is that often it's the case that the scholars, they differ because sometimes a scholar will have been exposed to certain hadith and other scholars were not exposed to those hadith. So one scholar who was not exposed to certain hadith, he will make a ruling based on his ijtihadat, based on his, you know, uh, his best uh, work and best ability to exercise ijtihad and like, you know, uh, you know exercising, um, you could say, um, logical reasoning and trying to come to the best conclusion and he will try his best to reason what the answer is and he'll come to something and another scholar will say well I have received these different authentic hadith which clarify it so that happens or sometimes it's a matter of authenticity sometimes some scholars they'll say I base it off of these hadith and others will say those hadith are weak for such and such reasons and I base it off of others so these things this is natural it's going to happen and we know that we should not have negative opinions of scholars that come to different rulings because the Prophet says, إِذَا حَكَمَ الْحَاكِمُ فَاجْتَهَدَ فَأَصَابَ فَلَهُ أَجْرًا وَإِذَا اجْتَهَدَ فَأَخْطَأَ فَلَهُ أَجْرًا That if a judge passes some sort of a judgment or verdict, and he exerted himself to reach the right verdict, then he gets, and, and if he gets it right, if he actually gets it right, أَصَابَ, he gets it right, then he will have two rewards. But if, the, if, the, if somebody else, he strives really hard to, to reach the right conclusion, but still gets it wrong, then he will have one reward. So the one who tries his best based on his niyyah, in الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّةِ The fact that you tried your absolute best, and then still came to the wrong conclusion, you will get one reward, as opposed to the one who did get the right one, he will get two rewards. So we should not be too harsh in our assessment if we find that some scholars have come to some conclusions, but we find other scholars have come to more convincing conclusions, you don't have to put some sort of a negative opinion on those who had the different opinion. Now, that's one perspective. The other perspective is quite fascinating. It's talking about permissible matters that get you closer to haram. So it could be that this mushtabihat, that these doubtful matters are things where you're starting to get, to get closer to haram, obvious haram, but you're not quite there yet, right? And so we know that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Qur'an, وَلَا تَتَّبِعُوا خُطَوَاتَ الشَّيْطَانِ Don't follow the footsteps of shaitan. Right? And, and this is talked about why. Because Allah Ta'ala knows very well that shaitan doesn't work in one shot. He doesn't say, bow down to an idol. You know, go rob a bank. Go become a, a drug addict or an alcoholic. You know, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I want to indulge in every haram. No. Shaitan says, just take a baby step. Right? You know, look but don't touch. Touch 
but don't taste. Taste, but don't swallow, right? So that's, that's you know, the, always the, the baby steps, right? So this is the whole, this is the way shaitan operates. And perhaps the best example Allah Ta'ala mentions in uh, uh, Surah Isra, وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا zina. Don't even get close to zina, right? Because the halal is obvious and the haram is obvious. Okay, so zina is obviously, obviously haram. And it might be obviously, let's say, for instance, if you go to school, and let's say there's a woman that uh, she knows what's for homework and, and you forgot. So you can say, excuse me, do, can you remind me what, which pages do we have to read? Inshallah ta'ala, wallahu ta'ala alam, it seems that just asking what pages and she says, oh, from this to this, okay, thank you, goodbye, that's halal. But now, how much closer can I, well, maybe we can study together. Oh, now we're getting, you see my point? Maybe we can just, you know, no, but it's in the, it's in the library, you know, everybody's around. Oh, well, we can go in an area where there's a few less people, but there's still people around. You get my point? These are khutwat al-shaytan, taking baby steps. And so what you're doing is, halal is bayin, haram is bayin, and you are just taking these little, well, I'm not doing anything haram yet. I haven't fallen into haram yet. You know, I haven't done anything really bad yet. And you keep on justifying it intellectually to yourself, and you keep on getting closer and closer to crossing that line. So Allah says what? وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا zina. Don't even get close to zina. Allah didn't say don't do zina. Allah said don't get a close to it. Because obviously these baby steps will be justified, justified, justified until you tell yourself, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then it happened. So uh, everybody, everybody who falls into these type of haram things always at some point said, I'm, I'm too strong to fall into this. And it's always that overconfidence that gets them. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam bisawab. Allah knows best. So this from a fiqh perspective, is usually referred to as sadu dhara'ir. Sadu dhara'ir means uh, um, uh, blocking the means. It, that's what it, the technical translations mean, blocking the means. Blocking the means to haram. As in, there are certain means that you could say are halal, but they're taking you baby step, footst- uh, baby step, baby step towards haram, and you should try to block those means. And this also could be a reference to falling into makruhat, something that is makruh, something that is uh, uh, um, uh, disliked. And there are many different things in fiqh that are considered makruh. So they're not actually haram, but they're, they're disliked. Like for example, if you make a habit of praying in jama'ah without giving the iqam, uh, the adhan or the iqamah, is the halal allowed? Is, excuse me, is the, is, the salah, is, the salah, is the salah valid? Yes, it's a salah, uh, the, 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 the salah is valid, right? But if you make a habit out of doing that, you're not necessarily getting sins the first time, but the habit is, is what? You're getting comfortable losing off a very important sunnah. That's a good example of something that is makruh. Another one is praying in a blanket. You, you know, you throw on a blanket around yourself. Maybe you could do that one time because, you know, just because maybe the salah is about to finish. But generally speaking, because, you know, there's the possibility of, of opening up areas that expose yourself, this is, this is makruh. It's disliked to do this. You should wear proper clothes that cover yourself properly, right? So these are different examples of something that is makruh. It's not actually, you're not actually getting sins for it, but if you do it over and over again, you keep on getting close to the haram. You keep on getting closer and getting more comfortable doing things poorly, you could say. And so this could be a reference to that. Don't get comfortable doing things poorly. Yes. Now there is a third position, but this seems to be a weak opinion. The third position is that when we're talking about these mushtabihat, uh, uh, these doubtful matters, what we're talking about is matters in which the proof of their unlawfulness is from a weak hadith or a slightly weak hadith. Now this opinion seems weak and the reason is because Allah Ta'ala refers to this deen and the Qur'an and Sunnah as uh, 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 something that is preserved. Allah Ta'ala says in the Qur'an, إِنَّا نَحْنُ نَزَّلْنَا الذِّكْرَ وَإِنَّا لَهُ لَحَافِظُونَ That Allah says that indeed, it is we who have sent down this dhikr and the dhikr is usually understood as Al-Qur'an wa-Sunnah. That the Qur'an is something that is, the Qur'an and Sunnah are things that are, that are revelation from Allah Ta'ala. وَإِنَّا لَهُ لَحَافِظُونَ And indeed, we for sure, we're going to keep it preserved. 
we are going to preserve it. That means that whatever is important in the deen is going to be from the Qur'an, which is authentic, or the authentic sunnah of the Prophet something that is sahih, right? So if somebody says, oh, well, there are these doubtful matters that come through weak ahadith, then actually the stronger position is to say, then, uh, then perhaps we don't have to uh, worry about it too much. Why? Because if it truly was something that was warned about by the Prophet ﷺ, and something that Allah wanted us to know we should stay away from, then Allah Ta'ala would have preserved it and made it clear and obvious. Wallahu ta'ala alam, that seems to be the stronger opinion. So yes, it seems that this hadith talking about mushtabihat and things that are doubtful, it's a reference to either fiqh opinions where there's differences of opinion, or things that you know you're getting closer and closer and closer to haram, but you keep on through temptation justifying it to yourself because you're like, I'm, I haven't actually crossed the line yet. I've just gotten a little bit closer. I haven't crossed it yet. So these are the two main opinions. Now, how do we reconcile this particular hadith with the hadith which says, in which the Prophet says what? قَدَ تَرَكْتُكُمْ عَلَى الْبَيْضَاءِ that the Prophet says what? I am leaving you upon a path that is bright and clear, whose night is like its day, as in, you know, you know, very straightforward, very clear, black and white, essentially. You could say it that way. No one will deviate from it after, uh, after I am gone, except those who are doomed. In other words, you don't have any excuses. This deen is clear. And if you deviate from it, it's on your own accord. It's not like the deen wasn't clear enough. So how do we reconcile the idea that there are mushtabihat, there are doubtful matters, but at the same time, that this deen is clear. It seems like there might be an issue here. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam, the best explanation seems to be that the Prophet made all matters clear, all matters clear, through obviously uh, Allah's revelation and through Allah's uh, help and, and wahi and so forth. However, some matters are clearer than others, and the truth is out there somewhere, right? And uh, however, it will depend on one's dedication of discovering it. So it's not that... Uh, uh, so for an individual, some things might be clear and some things might be not so clear. But that doesn't mean that that's because the deen is unclear. It's because some things are obvious for you and some things you just need to do more research because the truth is out there. The truth is completely out there in its entirety. Why? Because the Prophet left all of it clear. It's only, the only issue is from an individualistic perspective, have you done the work or have you not? And that's the best way, I think, Wallahu ta'ala a'lam, that we can reconcile these two ahadith and Allah knows best. best. So we continue on with the hadith. لَا يَعْلَمُهُنَّ كَثِيرٌ مِّنَ النَّاسِ Most people don't know about it. Most people don't know about these issues. These things that are mushtabihat, these things that are unclear, most people don't know about it. This is a beautiful, beautifully worded. Why? Because when you say most people don't know about it, there is an implication that for when it comes to these doubtful matters, there is a correct answer, and there are some people that know it. Right? Because the Prophet is saying, most people don't know it, as in, there is a right answer, most people don't know it, but some people do. So this clarifies two issues. Some people might say, there is no right answer for certain things. Certain things, that they don't have a right answer. No, that's not according to the hadith. According to the, this hadith, there is a right answer. Even if the, the, the matter seems doubtful, there is something that Allah Ta'ala deems the right way. Okay? And secondly, some people do know it. Some specialists will know what that answer is. Someone who studied this matter enough will know it. Is, are you, are you going to be amongst the people that know it? Will you track these people down? Will you study with the scholars? Will you get to the bottom of this issue? That's up to you. That's up to your ijtihad. But at the end of the day, we do believe that Allah Ta'ala gave us the truth and that it, uh, that Allah Ta'ala will get, make the truth clear for those who seek it out, those who are sincere and those who fight for it and, and strive for it. As the Prophet says, Fas'alu ahlid, excuse me, that as Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, in fact twice in the Quran, once in Surah, Anbiya, and once in Surah Al-Nahl, Allah says, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلِ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ That ask 
does that mean, Ahl al-Dhikr? It could be translated as the specialist, or the professional, or basically the one who remembers or thinks about a certain issue a lot. The one who is specialized in a certain issue, ask the specialist if you don't know something. So there are going to be certain people that have the right answer. And more proof to prove the fact that, alhamdulillah, our ummah will always have some people that have the right answer with regards to whatever issue. The fact is that the Prophet said what? لا تجتمعوا لا تجتمعوا أمتي على ضلالة That my ummah will not make, uh, will not uh, gather or uh, will not unite upon an error. This is a guarantee from the Prophet saying what? That my ummah will never in its entirety agree upon something that is incorrect. Maybe some people, maybe even a lot of people, but there will all, will make a mistake. But there will always be some people who have the truth. Even if it boils down to just one person, inshallah, the truth will be out there amongst this ummah. And actually, with regards to this uh, issue, there's a very, very beautiful uh, narration from uh, Imam uh, mentioned by, uh, t- talks about, talking about Imam al-Shafi'i. Imam al-Shafi'i, uh, one time he was asked by a very elderly man, came up to him and said, he asked Imam al-Shafi'i, what constitutes evidence in the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Tell me, what is evidence in Islam? Imam al-Shafi'i says, Kitabullah, the book of Allah. The old man says, what else? He says, as-sunnah, the, the, the sunnah of the Prophet the, the sunnah of the Messenger sallallahu The old man says, what else? He says, al-ijma', consensus. Then the old man says, and where did you get uh, ijma' from? Where did you get this idea that ijma'atul ummah, that uh, the, the consensus of the ummah, is, is, uh, is, is considered evidence in Islam? Imam al-Shafi'i ponders for, about it for a second, and then the old man says, I'll give you three days. <laughs> I'll give you three days. I'll, I'll see you in three days. You better, you better come up with an answer. So subhanAllah, this guy puts some pressure on him, subhanAllah. So he says, I'll give you three days. And then Imam al-Shafi goes home and starts reading. And he, for three days, he's just studying. And after three days, the old man comes to him, and he says, so what do you got? Imam al-Shafi says, I read the Qur'an three times each day. I went from the beginning just going through the Mus'haf, just going through the Mus'haf, again and again, three times each day, trying to think, trying to figure out, I can't, like the pressure was on, you know, you're you're an alim, you're a man of knowledge, you can't just say things like that and just, you know, just roll with it, you know, so I expect a lot. And so he felt the pressure of this, subhanAllah. And he said, I haven't, been, I haven't stopped reading to find the evidence because I, I just knew it was there, but I had to find it. So after three days of going through the Qur'an, three times a day, subhanAllah, he says, I finally came across the ayah and it finally clicked. وَمَنْ يُشَاقِقِ الرَّسُولِ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا تَبَيَّنَ لَهُ الْهُدَى وَيَتَّبِعْ غَيْرَ سَبِيلِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ نُوَلِّهِ مَا تَوَلَّى uh, that and whoever Allah says whoever opposes the messenger after guidance has become clear to him and follows other than the way of the believers whoever follows a way other than the believers we will give him what he has taken and drive him to, into hellfire and evil uh, it is evil as a destination so then Imam al-Shafi says so whoever contradicts what is agreed upon by the scholars of Islam, yani the believers, al-mu'minin, sabil al-mu'minin, the path of the believers, without any authentic evidence, Allah will enter him into the fire. And the old man says, Sadaqt, you said, you said it right, good job. And subhanAllah, this reminds me of a very, very beautiful quote that says, it is the nature of man to rise to greatness if greatness is expected of him. SubhanAllah, it's so true that when people expect, when the expectation, that's one of the greatest motivators in life. When people expect you to do good, then the pressure's on. They expect me to do good. So this guy said, I give you three days. You better figure it out. 
And subhanAllah, the pressure was on, he, and he rose to the occasion. He hustled and hustled, he found the ayah that says what? Anybody who takes a path, غَيْرَ سَبِيلِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Other than the path of the believers. So clearly, whatever is ijma' amongst the believers, whatever is agreed upon from the believers, generally speaking, this must be the straight way. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam. So subhanAllah, it just goes to show uh, the, the genius uh, of Imam al-Shafi. And so we're going to continue in the second uh, portion of this.